It's a great time to get a great deal on a new car when you get approved for an auto loan from PenFed. Our powered by true car rates are as low as 1.39% APR on new vehicles. Finance for a longer term to lower your monthly bill, plus take up to 60 days to schedule your first payment. Join PenFed, and together, we'll keep you moving forward. Anyone can apply. Visit PenFed.org auto or call 1-800-247-5626. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. With Metro and the best deal in wireless, you can rule your day. Get two lines with 5G access included for just $35 a month per line, period. With taxes and regulatory fees included every month. All on America's largest 5G network at no extra charge. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. Requires auto pay. First month is $40 per line for two lines. 5G access requires capable device. Coverage not available in some areas. See Metro by T-Mobile.com or store for details. For listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Steven Jodorant. Joining me, as always, are Maka Fai. On today's episode, we speak with Senior Vice President of USL League One, Stephen Short. We discuss youth development, pro-rail, expansion, and the overall vision of the league. Now, before we get to the interview, follow us on the Twitter machine at Pod. You can find the show on any major podcast platform. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And give us a five-star review. Now, let's get to today's episode. Joining us right now is the Senior Vice President of USL League One, Stephen Short. Stephen, how's it going? Uh, doing great, guys. Thanks for having me today. Stephen, to make things no easier for everyone... Can you tell us about your background, your personal background, and then your role uh, with USL League One? Oh, geez. Uh, I guess the short and sweet, maybe. I've been with USL almost nine years. Um, entered, really, um, worked on all of our properties from Super Y League to uh, the PDL, which is now League Two, and uh, was able to be in a great position to help launch League One and really been working on that for the last three years. And prior to that, it's been a, had a fit with the EA Sports, which was pretty fun if you're a gamer. Um, and before that, uh, Disney Sports and the University of Tennessee Athletic Department. So been able to touch the sports industry on many different realms and uh, really kind of all culminating with launch of League One. Now, let's talk about the league itself. It launched in 2017. What was the thought process behind it? Well, we actually started that. <laughs> we went public in, I think it was April 2nd of 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were working on it for about a year and a half prior to that maybe even two years at that time. Uh, part of that movement being when the USL Championship now, um, then I think it was USL Pro or USL, was contemplating the move to Division Two status. And when we dove really into the move to Division Two, we identified there was going to be a vacancy to Division Three level under U.S. soccer. Uh, and at that point, we realized who's in a better position to 
launched another league when we received Division Two status in USL. And with our, I think we're over 65 people now in our headquarters in Tampa, uh, with the infrastructure we have on the media side as well as the team support services side, um, it made sense for us. And we knew that it was going to take some time. So when we launched in 2017, we didn't want to come out and just say, we're going to play in 18. You know, I mean, we really had to be methodical and strategic about what we wanted to do. We wanted to not rush it, but we wanted to make sure we did it right. And part of that's the right ownership and the right cities and make sure that we have plenty of time to onboard all the clubs to get them ready for their first season in the league. So we, from the outset, when we went public in 2017, was we're going to launch in 19, um, which no pressure, right, to get it done, <laughs> uh, to find the teams and find the markets and, and everything behind that. But um, hopefully you guys follow us on Twitter. I mean, it was great to tour the country and to see these cities and to see the development of the game, to see the love for the game and, I mean, how many bars we visited and microbreweries and mm-hmm. um, on top of that, even some baseball stadiums to really sit down with everyone and talk about what they wanted in a pro team, if they even wanted a pro team. Um, and really just find out what our fans uh, wanted and by that, our fans, any fans of the game itself. And it was pretty neat to hear what some of them had to say and if they supported their local teams, if they knew there was a local team or not, um, and grow up from there. So we really took an all-inclusive approach to it. Uh, which I think is probably unprecedented when it comes to expansion and pro sports of, hey, here's where we are. Here's what we saw. Here's what made this city really cool to us. Um, here's why you should like it. If we miss something, let us know. Or if you want this in your city, let us know. And really engage a lot of people through social media and let them see how we were launching the league. Steven, you talk about finding the right market in the right city. Elaborate on those criteria into finding the right city when you were developing the league or the concept of the league? Sure. I mean, there are three um, things we typically will start with, right? And, uh, one is, if there's, is there a facility available in the city? And um, sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. Um, that meets the U.S. Soccer Pro League standards as well as those of League One. Um, and second part would be, you know, obviously an owner, right? You have to have an owner that meets those standards as well that wants to come in and really sees the vision of the league as well and shares that with the league and, um, also, you know, they become a partner with the league to a degree. And so we want to make sure that there's a strong relationship there. And the third, we're going to look inside the city itself and see is there a willingness to support a team. As you can imagine, there are a lot of cities throughout the country where there may be a baseball team or a basketball team or uh, major league lacrosse or some other professional sport that's there, um, or entertainment even, you know, whether it's the beach or racetrack or whatnot. So um, you have to be cognizant when you put a pro soccer team somewhere that there is ultimately um, other things that, you know, people are involved in. So we spent a lot of time studying the market. Um, some were on the development end, which is kind of neat to get to go meet with the city. And, you know, a city may have a 10 to 20 year plan of how they're going to redevelop. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some that we landed right in the middle of. And, yeah, it looks good on paper. When you got there, like, man, this is amazing. We've got to make this happen. And there are a couple of those that we're still working on. And there are some that are, I guess you could say the tail end of their development or redevelopment and you're seeing neighbor, new neighborhoods pop up. You're seeing people move to town and companies that are moving their headquarters or uh, regional headquarters to those uh, cities. So there's an influx of workforce, an influx of residents. And, um, and some of them even became global markets depending on the companies that are there. So there's already to some degree an, an understanding of the game, uh, whether it's where the individuals move from or uh, their desire to move there and have a better quality of life. So, it's, every market was different. To say that any two were the same would be completely wrong, but um, that was kind of the fun part with it, too. So you really get to sit down and 
see where the residents of each city, where did they want their city to go? What did they want it to be? And they all had these massive visions that were just, you know, they sold us on it, you know, mm-hmm. more than we, I think, sold them on the league. It was, yeah, this is great. This is exactly what needs to be here. And that was exciting. So let me ask you this, Stephen. Uh, the team has, what, three MLS-owned teams. Was there a difference in terms of choosing uh, between, you know, like talking to those markets versus the ones that are, more, are, that are independently just not MLS-affiliated? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a different process. It's, uh, I mean, you know the clubs, which, one, they're, they're already vetted by MLS because they own the team. So um, you don't really have to worry so much about the ownership, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, we still spend a lot of time on facilities. Um, just because it's a, a team that's owned by a MLS franchise doesn't mean that we're going to lessen our regulations at all. Uh, there's some differences. Um, obviously, some will play in their first team stadiums and some will not. So you have to look at that. Uh, some of the teams have different approaches overall, uh, where you know they may want to play more of their younger players. Um, they still go after championships and win that way. So I think there's a little bit of a different conversation, but it's a lot of it's still the same too. Working with the city to make sure that it's feasible, uh, to make it sure that it checks the boxes for everyone involved, is what their long-term mission is. Uh, and then, you know, once we get on the field, it's all pretty much the same, right? I mean, it's you're playing to win that game in those 90 minutes, and every point matters, every game matters. Mm-hmm. And so, the end result uh, is pretty much the same. It just the conversation is slightly different. Uh, Stephen, was there any pushback from anyone or any entity? in the sporting landscape here in America about the creation of another soccer league? I don't believe so. At least if there was, they certainly didn't share it with me. Um, I think the <laughs> great thing we had going for us is USL is already, you know, we had the track record of the USL championship, which at that time was just the USL, to see how we had grown that league steadily. Um, at the same time, had the infrastructure and support behind it and, but the teams were performing well on and off the field and continuing to improve. I mean, that's a key point of it as well. So to say that another league coming in, no, I didn't really see that there was a lot of resistance to that because uh, I think we spent a lot of time with the individuals we met with explaining the landscape, right? A lot of people probably just needed more time to understand what is the landscape, um, especially some markets that maybe didn't have direct access to pro soccer. Uh, so there was a lot of learning there. And, for us, it was important to learn what's already in their markets, right? So, like, if you're going up against a baseball team or something else, the cities needed to understand that, how those calendars worked. Uh, it, it, it was fascinating. But, no, we really didn't receive any um, negative reaction to that degree. Um, maybe when we reached out to a couple other teams or entities um, that were maybe in some smaller markets that were going to have some things, they may have had some questions, but nothing overly objective. Now, Stephen – with the with the the structure of USL right now, we have the championship, League One, League Two. Why did USL decide to go this route uh, to create the structure between the three leagues? And how's the communication mm-hmm. like between uh, the three leagues, between you know, some people in championship, between yourself and League Two? Well, I think we looked at structures around the world. One, we're globally recognized, um, and you saw that in England, you saw it in Germany. I mean, if you want to look at Scotland or Italy. Um, there were a couple out there, and people recognized that. Maybe in the years previous where you didn't have direct access to watch those matches or those leagues on TV, um, it maybe forced a little bit of a challenge, but we think we were right at a point where everyone kind of understood that structure. Um, I really laid it out. If you looked at a visual chart, if you would, of our league 
um, it was a little bit different. I mean, you had to really figure out how to tie the USL Pro that time or USL to the uh, PDL uh, and then down to the youth aspect. And really this new structure, this new system that was put in place, I mean, you look at it, it's cohesive. It is an entire system of the leagues graphically represented, and um, that made it a lot easier, to be honest with you. I can tell you it's already made a difference in a lot of our conversations. Um, and it was even in clubs around the world that we've talked to or people that reach out to us, and they, they can see that tie, right? So now we further define not only the relationship between the leagues, but the potential for player movement through that, um, through that system. Um, as for communication, I mean, it's easy. We all sit down and halt in each other. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's not like we're remote offices. Uh, uh, you know, we're all under one umbrella. and We literally, uh, whether we're spending lunches together, working on uh, initiatives, and I work with Joel Nash um, regularly on League Two. So we make sure that uh, we're all working together, and uh, as well as Jake and his team on the championship. And so we're all moving towards a, a common vision. We're not moving independently, if, if that's the question. But um, I would tell you, I mean, it's, at our headquarters in Tampa, it's everybody moving towards the common goal with all the leagues involved. So what what is this common goal that the the entire I guess USL structure is going for? Well, it's been pretty uh, upfront with the championship. I mean, they want to operate the we want to operate the best Division two and best Division three professional leagues in the world. Uh, we want to define a pathway for players to move from the amateur ranks to the professional ranks. We want our team owners to continue to see increased value in their in their uh, clubs, and we want to see our clubs continue to make a difference in their communities. It's not just plopping a team in the town and saying, come out to our games. We're here now. It doesn't work that way. So it certainly is ingraining our clubs in their communities, um, providing opportunities for players, executives, coaches, referees. Um, we're seeing a lot of stadium development, which is huge for the game in the country. Uh, so I think every there's the same one or two prong. It's uh, truly a comprehensive plan for continuing to grow and stabilize the league. You know, can we get, uh, we've got 36 teams in the championship this year. Uh, we're at 10 in League One in our first year, and our plan is to grow that league to 30 to 40 teams as well. And at that point, League Two continues to grow. Um, so by the World Cup, I mean, it'll be a, a group of potentially between, uh, <laughs> at this point, let's say 60 to 70 professional clubs in the country uh, with probably 100 amateur teams sitting underneath it or pre-professional teams. And that's a phenomenal system to have in place and provide opportunity. Now, within that opportunity, will there be an opportunity um, for clubs to have mobility within League One and the, the championship uh, with, you know, promotion and relegation? So by mo- it, let's just call it pro rel <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it certainly is a discussion. It's ongoing. You know, we, mm-hmm. we've um, been working on an interleague cup between the championship and League One. Um, that certainly is an exciting thing for the team owners. Um, I think even the communities in which our teams compete. So in this case, you know, if you get a, a championship team and there's a League One team an hour away that they can actually compete against each other in a competition, um, that's exciting. I think just for the fans and the league. So we have that in place. But, yeah, those discussions are there. Um, but certainly questions we get daily. So it's not something we're ignoring. But, but you have to look at it, guys, that there has to be stable and strong leagues, right? Mm-hmm. The championship is there. And we're in year one of League One. Right. Actually, we're not even in that yet. It's like 36 days away, something like that. So when you look at it, it's like we're 10 teams. As we continue to grow that league and we stabilize that league and grow a great uh, North, uh, North American footprint, it becomes easier, right? So you don't have to worry about uh, 
one team in, one team out from the West Coast to the East Coast and switching back and forth. So um, you have to have that strong foundation there. And then we can start looking at the mechanisms that will allow that to happen. So a lot of the discussion around promotion relegation is U.S. soccer in general is the role of the owner and their vision for their soccer club. Within the USL network, are are all the owners on the same page as far as the direction of the league? Well, the, the key important element for us is we do operate with a board of governors. So we do uh, work a lot with our ownership on direction of the league, and we lay that out to them. And they do have voting rights on certain things. So it's a matter of constantly being in discussion with them about where their club is going, where the league is going. Um, and that, you certainly have to be there. Now, um, if we did that in a vacuum, I'm not really sure they'd work well. So we'll make sure that we have great relationships with our ownership. Um, like I said, I mean, we're in year one of League One. We've had two ownership meetings already. And the first one was last summer in Atlanta, where we voted on the league structure and number of games and on the season length. Certainly, that was an exciting time. So we came out with that after that. And then at the winter meeting, we were, you know, received our sanctioning several weeks after that meeting. So that meeting was really set and prepped them for this first season. So as you can imagine now, they're all, I think there's one or two kids that have been revealed. There's a lot more for the plan. There are ticket sales occurring and sponsorship sales occurring. And uh, it's mean to see, okay, that jersey looks good. We can't wait for you guys to reveal this one and see how it looks in the market, but also how it sells. Um, and then our teams also find a lot of great partnerships with youth clubs and uh, local teams and businesses to really promote the community. So, Yes, we have to work in step with our ownership. It's uh, a positive relationship, and uh, their input is um, also very important for us. Uh, as we see from a league point of view, we put ourselves in the team's shoes, but they're also bringing in, you know, a different angle to it. So it's very important. Absolutely, and I, I and League One is going to expand to twelve teams in twenty twenty, adding Penn FC and Rochester Rhinos. By the way, Rochester Rhinos, it's, it's great to see them back playing professional soccer. Um, but what, you said you mentioned 40 teams when we talked about the long-term vision for USL League One. Is is there a timetable for that, or is just that just like a long-term goal of sorts? It, well, yes, <laughs> a little bit. Of both. <laughs> you know, the one thing that's going to be important as we grow the league is managing the growth. Um, now we're certainly get a lot of inbound inquiries, and but we want to make sure again that it's the right city with the right people at the right time. Uh, we're currently, I'll get back on the road here for a little bit to go meet with some more city soon, uh, which is always a fun part of the role, mm. uh, which I've been pretty open about. But there are also some cities that are inquiring with us that we need to get out and visit. We know we need to work on the West Coast. We have Tucson as our westernmost team right now. Um, they certainly would like to see more teams out west. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but then we also want to build out some of our existing footprint. So, uh, I would, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, a lot of it's going to be strategic. It'll be timed out. We're not going to drop 20 teams in one year. That'd be kind of crazy. It'd be kind of cool at the same time. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, we want to make sure that it, it's happening in increments, right? Um, that we can continue to stay, keep the league stable, keep it growing, um, keep everything moving forward. Steve, let me ask you this. As far as expansion, you, you talk about moving across the country to this 40 team. USL does have a requirement or does look at specific cities as far as population sizes and and the criteria of that, but does it plan to go into bigger cities with MLS markets already there? 
you know, when we look at the initial market list that we were targeting for League One, a lot of those were below the 750,000 in the MSA threshold. And we, we've even looked at markets, actually, some are above that. They're about a 150,000 to a million in their MSAs. Um, we're, we look at those that have MLS teams in them. And typically, you know, obviously the MLS team may look at having a second team that could come into League One. Um, they may look at something different. Uh, so as we look at expenses, we want to see what works, right? So you want to make sure that the market that the team goes into sets the team up for success. That to me is the most important. So if it's uh, maybe they go into a market and then they have a relationship with the MLS team or even the USL championship team, we have to keep an eye on that. We're going to start seeing relationships between the championship and league one. So as we expand, there are a lot of factors in play, but we'll make sure that this going into a market sets the team up for success as best as possible. Now, Steven, we had uh, Carl Sch- uh, Schneider uh, on from Ford Madison a couple weeks back. And um, one thing I asked him was whether he thought uh, what he thought of USL League One as a whole. And he said, well, when I was playing, uh, when I came out of college, I would have really liked that um, as an opportunity for you know, more collegiate players to go play after they're done. Um, has, has League One looked at potentially adding maybe a specific system for college players to, you know, kind of encourage them to join League One after uh, they're done, or any thought of that? Well, I mentioned the opportunities earlier, right? And part of that is, you know, you look at League Two, and about 80% of the guys that went in MLS Super Draft last year played in League Two, and most of those are D1 and D2 athletes. So there is that pipeline. We continue to work with the League Two team to make sure that, you know, those top players. Now, who knows if it's going to be a combine in the future or if it turns into some type of League Two All-Star game or I'm just spitballing here, by the way, um, the different options that are out there. So when we look at how to make sure these guys have exposure, it could be the relationship simply between the coaches of League One to League Two. It may be League One coaches or championship coaches going to the League Two championship match, watching those guys. And so there's a lot of opportunity to tie that there. Some may be formal, some may be informal. Um, but we're excited that League One provides that opportunity for those guys that, um, and even those that didn't maybe even play college, they just didn't choose that route uh, to really get them that opportunity to go pro for the first time. I know this is, you guys haven't really touched year one of USL play, but what about youth development? Has that been in discussion on what these markets or what these clubs can do to expand youth development across the country regarding the sport? Absolutely. Um, and that's all part of the comprehensive approach for a club, isn't it? So when you look at, um, obviously, the first season's coming up, big element. Um, the other elements that you're going to see are the fact that teams can start academy and get moving that way. So as they develop their academy, um, some will maybe want to start those in year one. Some may want to start them at a later point in time. So it's up to each ownership and each club. Um, but we certainly have um, our technical department internally at USL that can help guide them through that process. So it just really comes down to each club and what timing works for them. That, that's, I think that's a fantastic thing to hear. Uh, I think the more youth development uh, we see in, the, in, in this country, uh, the better. Now, in terms of, you know, looking at, again, those, U- those independently owned USL teams versus uh, those M- MLS teams, um, we've seen we we've seen you know Ford Madison do a lot in terms of looking really good. Is there is there a worry that there's potentially some teams that you know might stand out versus some of the other teams, or do you get like an equal you know, commitment from each team? Hey, look, we're gonna really hammer home 
these teams, even if they are developmental. Uh, looking at the rosters, um, <laughs> it's going to be a great season to watch. Uh, you know, Orlando B uh, launched their roster this week. It looks pretty strong. Um, there's no doubt Texas or North Texas has one of the best developmental systems in the country. And when you look at that, and we know Toronto's have a great history in USL as well, and but they've been able to develop on the homegrown side. So as you look at the MLS team, we know they're they're competitive. We know mm-hmm. they're going to put great products on the field. Mm-hmm. When you look at the non-MLS-owned teams, look at the rosters. I mean, if I had to look on paper, there are a couple that I can't wait to watch them play because it's, it's going to be a slugfest, you know? It's like, let's see what happens with these guys on these fields because they're bringing in some high-level talent. Um, and that's great for us to see. I mean, there's mm-hmm. um, an extensive list of players with League 2 experience. Um, some teams are featuring players that have great USL championship experience. So we're really seeing a broad spectrum when it comes to player experience on all clubs. I think that just sets itself up for excitement in year one because a lot of people, and I get it, we're wondering, what are we going to see on the field? And looking at these rosters, I can't wait. Plus, the fact that we're going to be on ESPN Plus in the first season, this makes it easier for everyone to watch the matches. Let, let me ask you this last question. You just talked about it being on ESPN Plus, but what does that mean for the league and uh, just overall for the promotion of the USL network? Well, I, I tell you, I could probably talk about ESPN Plus all day. I, I love the platform. It's easy to watch <laughs> matches and at any level, and um, the guys in the office kind of give me a hard time because I'm watching the Indian Super League several days a week. And hey, that, that's us too. Hey, because... that's that's us too. Don't okay. worry. Yes, that's yes. us too. That's yeah, awesome. and, it's, and it's great because for us, it's what what does USL League One look like compared to these other leagues? And we want to make sure that our broadcast is strong because there's a great chance that more people will be able to watch that than the five to six thousand in each stadium, right? So with our broadcast team, the graphics package looks phenomenal. We're excited for it. But the fact that it puts it next to the USL Championship, it puts it next to Serie A, to the ESL, I mean, it's just amazing to know that League One's there in year one. I truly believe that working with Vista Worldlink, who's our broadcast partner in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and this remote integration that our teams are able to utilize makes it easier for our teams to operate their clubs in year one because they can focus on the team and the game day operation rather than to worry about cameras and internet fees and things like that. So it provides a turnkey solution for us, and I believe we're doing more remote integration for uh, production with, between the League One and the championship than probably any league in the world. But it makes it uh, more conducive for our team. Um, and the stability and the proven record that we've had doing this platform is what allows it to go on ESPN Plus in year one, and I don't think any other league can say that. So we're, we're just thrilled with it. Steven, I, I just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to chat about, with us about USL League One. I want to give you the opportunity to add anything else you wanted to. Well, if everyone wants to come down to Statesboro, Georgia, March 29th for our home opener. That'll be thrilling. Uh, we're excited for that. It'll be uh, Greenville in South Georgia. Uh, really some great storylines. Both teams looking to build stadiums. We'll start to see stadiums come online starting next season so we're excited for league one we hope fans will give it a shot uh, i think they'll be very entertained entertained by it and i really appreciate your time today guys and if there's anything else you need from me please let me know thanks again steven 
Listeners, make sure you follow us on the Twitter machine at OnkSamSoccerPod. There you can send us your comments, concerns, feedback of the interview at Armakafai, at Steven Jodder, and at Jake Watroba. And until next time. Duncan's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.